want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Acts and the 10th chapter. Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter number 10 is where we're going to look. I want to encourage you to read this chapter in its entirety when you get home. We're not going to do that this morning, but I want to encourage you to, to read this chapter. It'll be uh, extremely meaningful to you, uh, especially in reflection of our, of our message. It begins with a man by the name of Cornelius, who was a soldier. He's a centurion and part of the band called the Italian Band. Now, that's not a rock group, okay? That's a, that is a military organization. He was a devout man. He feared God, and he was financially involved in his faith, and so on and so forth. He's praying to God for light, and so here's Cornelius, and he is um, he's he's seeking God's help, and and uh, asking God for guidance and, and directions, and he's in Joppa. Peter. On the other hand, is in Caesarea Maritima, and from the prayers of this centurion in Joppa, God moves the heart of a man in Caesarea. Okay, and so we pick that up a little bit in, in um, verse number nine, where the Bible says, "On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the house to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready." He fell into a trance and saw heaven open. Now let me just stop and add this, if I could. This is, this is something, remember that Acts is a transitional book. So you can't, take, you can't take certain things in Acts and build doctrine out of them, okay? Why did Peter go into a trance? Because God had to show him some things. Why did God have to show him some things? Simply because of the fact we did not have a completed Bible. So you didn't have Genesis to Revelation, and so God in this time still dealt with visions and, and, and things like that. But remember, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So because we have a, a perfect Bible, there's no more what we would call extra-biblical revelations given from God to man. God's not going to speak to us, you know, I can't come to you and say, God told me last night to tell you that God, God doesn't speak. Now, I may be impressed about some things, but I'm just simply saying th this is not the method that God uses in the day and age in which you and I are alive. And so verse 11, uh, he saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Then there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, Kill and eat. Now watch, watch this. Verse 14. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Fascinating statement, is it not? Not so, Lord, for I have never, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again unto heaven. So God's preparing P Peter through this trance for what is about to transpire in his life 
uh, with this man Cornelius that, um, that, that, that he is to deal with. And so Cornelius comes to Peter, verse 21, Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause whereof ye have come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. So Peter and the men uh, make their journey. Uh, I love it, verse 24, on the morrow when they entered into Caesarea, Cornelius waited for them and called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down on his feet and worshipped him. But Peter said unto him, saying, Stand up, for I myself also am a, am a man. Now, could I just throw this in? If he was the average, um, if Peter had been the, the, the average celebrity pastor there, he would have been looking at everybody else wondering why they weren't bowing also. Okay, but Peter had enough sense, we'll talk about this a little bit later, to realize I'm, I'm a man like you are, and so I don't want anybody worshiping me, all right? That's Peter's, that's Peter's mentality here. And, and so, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him, and the word with which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord. That word, I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John uh, hath preached. How God uh, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devils, for God was with him." And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they slew and hanged on a, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God hath raised up the third day and showed him openly. Now, jump with me over, if you will, to verse number 44. While Peter spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that the, on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, help us now open our hearts and our minds to your word. Give us the things we have need of. We'll thank you and give you praise and honor and glory. In the name of Christ, I pray these things. Amen. Caesarea Maritima actually means by the sea. So it's to be distinguished from Caesarea Philippi which was located at the mouth of the uh, Jordan River uh, in Galilee. Uh, Caesarea Maritima, as you've seen, was built by Herod the Great uh, in 22 B.C., sparing no expense. He built the city uh, into just a colossal and, and just an absolutely ornate place. Uh, massive breakwaters uh, made safe dockets for over 300 ships and uh, a hippodrome that you saw, the big, long, uh, oval-shaped thing where chariot races were held, uh, could seat over 20,000. There were, there were gladiator uh, contests that took place there. Uh, it was an incredible place, much of it built to provide entertainment for the people, so much so that historians have referred to it as Vegas on the Med, the Mediterranean Sea, Sea Vegas on the Med. And so it was noted for 
its uh, flamboyance and entertainment in, in its, the way that it was constructed. Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Judea, ultimately made his headquarters here. And uh, it's interesting because for centuries, for centuries, historians denied the existence of Pontius, Pontius Pilate. Because even though there were some hints of him, obviously in the Bible, but hints of him in, in, in uh, history, nobody, there was nothing concrete, nothing that you could put your hand upon to say, okay, well, there really was this man called Pontius Pilate. But then uh, the Pilate stone, which I've seen, there's a, there's a, um, a model of it uh, displayed at Caesarea Maritima, but uh, you can go to the uh, Israeli Museum and you can actually see the Pilate stone. A number of us have had the privilege of seeing that. And there it was, all of a sudden, there was concrete, uh, credible evidence that Pilate did exist. You know, it's amazing, is it not, how long it takes science and history to catch up with the Bible? <laughs> For so many years, they deny this happened, denied that happened, and then all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Well, it did happen, yeah. And uh, it's, it's there. You ever wonder why you find fish at the top of mountains in Colorado? You find fish fossils? Well, it's either a very high-jumping fish or there was a universal flood, one of the two. You can put your faith in anything you want to, but I, I sort of figure it's a flood. I like when you stand on the brink of the, of the Grand Canyon and somebody says how many millions and billions of years that it took to form that. No, 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 it was, it, that's the flood. It's, it's, amazing. It, it's amazing the things that we see, and it takes a while for secular history and so-called science to catch up with it. I love the song, The Bible Stands Like a Rock Undaunted Amidst the Raging Storms of Time. Its pages burn with the truth eternal, and they glow with the light sublime. The Bible stands, though the hills may tumble. It will firmly stand when the earth shall crumble. I will plant my feet on its firm foundation. Well, the Bible stands. Let me help you with this. Don't ever apologize for believing the Bible. And don't ever let anyone put you on your heels because you believe the Bible is the Word of God and is absolute truth. Listen to me. Every single person puts their faith in something. Faith, faith is a matter of life. You either believe what the professor said uh, down at what you might call it university, uh, who believes that his quad great, triple great ancestor swung by his tail, or you believe what the Word of God says, that man was created in the image of God. So don't apologize for that whatsoever. Now, if you read the book of Acts, you come under the realization that this city, Caesarea Maritima, was, was a, 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 an, important, it's an important city to you and I as believers, as we read the New Testament here. Because it was there that the first Gentile, Cornelius, was saved. Okay? When we sit there in that, uh, in that amphitheater and we do a Bible study there with the people that go with us, one of the things that we major upon is that this city, this place, where we are right now is the place where uh, the, the gospel message was sent to, uh, to um, the first Gentile convert and it literally changed the trajectory of, of the gospel. And from that point on, it wasn't just a Jewish faith, you know. It wasn't, didn't just have its roots in the Jewish people. Now, 
Now, as Peter began to realize, it's going to people of every race, every kindred, every tongue, and literally would go around the world. So it's incredibly iconic, Caesarea by the sea is. And there are some lessons that you and I can learn. <clears throat> now, I want, you to, I want you to stay with me for a moment, because here's the first lesson. I want to spend a, l- a little bit of time here, because this is important to us. First lesson I see as I, as I read and study about this city is that there is always room for growth. Now, I want you to let that sink in, because I don't know where you are. I don't know how long you've been in church. All, I don't know, I don't know the, the, all the nuts and bolts of all your testimony. I, I, don't, I don't know how firmly planted you are and how long you have been a Christian. But I just want to tell you this. I, I don't care where you're at or where you came from or how long you've been involved in this and how secure you feel like your faith is. Can I just tell you this? Don't ever get to the place to where you, you feel like you have nothing left to learn. Because when you stop learning, you stop growing. When you lose your hunger, you lose your growth. One of the things I used to do when I, I, taught, I taught school for 20 years, uh, uh, U.S. history, world history, world geography, and Bible, things like that, one of the things I would say when I spoke at, at uh, teachers' conventions, I would say this, if that day ever comes where you stop being a student yourself, then you lose your credentials for teaching. If you're, if you're no longer learning, you have no right to teach. And I just want to say this, I don't, care what, what your, I don't care what your occupation is, if you think you've mastered it, you're pretty well done. If there's nothing more for you to learn, if there's nothing else that excites you, if you can't, if you can't get into whatever it is that you're teaching, uh, then, 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 then it's going to become a very boring thing for you and and, and you're just going to pretty much survive rather than thrive. And so, uh, as a Christian, I think we need to remember that the Bible says, be not many masters. The book of James. What does that mean? Don't approach life and don't approach the Bible and don't approach uh, your worldview uh, as a know-it-all, as a professor. Walk through life as a student, taking notes, being willing to learn Everybody knows something that you don't know, hence all men are your teachers. You can learn something from everyone. You go to, from myself, I go to a preacher's meeting, a young guy gets up to preach, what do I want to do? I want to learn. You know why I want to learn? Because I don't care what his age is, he's seen something that I haven't seen, he knows something that I don't know, and I want to take notes of him uh, because it's very important. My pastor, uh, in, in the first church that I ever pastored, um, uh, sat in my uh, congregation as a member. And years later, when he passed away, several years later, uh, he was such a great mentor to me. It was, wasn't my home church. It was, a, it was the first church I pastored. Don Balls was the man. And so when he died, I asked his wife, I said, before I preach the funeral, could I, have, could I just hold his Bible? Could I read through his Bible a little bit? And she said, Sure. So a couple of days before I preached his funeral, she handed me his Bible. And, and as I was thumbing through his Bible, you know what I found? I found notes that he had taken in his Bible from, from when I preached. And I was astounded by the fact that here's a guy that's older than me, down the road from me. I'm just a young pup, and he's sitting there taking notes from me. What did that teach me? It taught me, it taught me to, to, to always realize there's room for growth in your life and in, in, in my life. 
Now, could, would you do this for me? Let's go back in time. All right, here we are. Here are Acts chapter number uh, 10. Let's jump back, if you will. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 16. Everybody go back to Matthew chapter 16. Peter, at this point, is a disciple in training. Um, he was a rough-hewn fisherman, okay? I mean, Peter was, Peter, Peter was rough. I mean, this guy was, there were no smooth edges on Peter at this point in Matthew chapter 16. And um, he, he had some characteristics, chiefly which were, he was very impetuous, he was overconfident, he was self-willed. That's Peter, okay? Open mouth, insert foot, that's Peter. So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus begins to prepare his disciples for what was going to ultimately transpire on a skull-shaped hill outside of Jerusalem. And he's telling them that he's going to die. Okay, He's been trying to tell them this, but they're not getting it. They're not receiving it very well. And Peter doesn't take the news well. Jesus basically says, look, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to die. This is God's will. This has to be done. Verse number 21 of Matthew 16. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now watch this next statement. And Peter took him. Now if you study that word took, it means to draw aside. Okay? It means to draw, to, 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 to draw aside. Gee, come here. Let me help. Would you help me for just a minute? So, so G's going to be Jesus, okay, for just a moment, and I'm going to be Peter. Now, now this is what, what happens, right? So Jesus is telling his disciples, i got to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be crucified. This is what Peter does. When the Bible says Peter took him, the Bible says Peter said, Jesus, come over here for just a minute. And he pulls him aside away from everybody to lecture him. So here's Peter the sinner lecturing Jesus the Savior. Do you understand the audacity of that? For him to call, to call Jesus aside and, 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 and to literally, what he's doing is he's condescending. Thank you, Gene. Condescending. I just want to see the fact that he's pulling him away from people. Okay? He's not, he not talking with you. He said, hey, can I, can, hey Jesus, can, can I talk with you a minute? Just, just right over here. And he takes Jesus aside, and he, and he says to him, look at it, he began to do what? What's that next word? Rebuke. Rebuke him. He didn't say, I'd like to chat with you, Lord, I appreciate you. You know what he did? He immediately began to rebuke him. Began to rebuke him. Now, I would have done that also with G, but I'm afraid he'd hit me. So I didn't I want to deal with him. He's younger than I am. So, so he called him aside and rebuked him. Okay. That's a strong word. Hey, come here. I'd like to talk with you right now after what you just said. Come over here. So he takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. What a statement. What an amazing thing. Talk about condescending and, and rebuking him. It's amazing. Now, watch this. What happens next is a really big ouch. Exclamation point. It's a huge ouch. You would think that, okay, here's this big 
here's Peter. I mean, he forgot he was the follower. He thinks he's the leader. And then Jesus looks at him, verse 23, but he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, wow. What he's saying is that statement you just made to me, that's of Satan. Watch this. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things of God, but those that be of men. You think you're in control, Peter, when my heavenly Father is in control. Now, so, so remember that. Remember what happened right here. Now let's fast forward it to where we are in Acts chapter number 10. Okay? Here's Acts chapter 10. And, and um, uh, there's a, this, this man, Cornelius, is praying. He's asking for light. But there's a problem. Here's the problem. The problem is that Cornelius was a Gentile. Wow. He's a Gentile. And, and um, uh, for, for the Peter and for the majority of the Jewish believers, there's a pride thing that's involved in this. We'll talk about a little bit more in our next point. Do you know what? Did you know this? Did you know that our pride is often the thing that contradicts the will of God? It's our pride. The, the fact that, okay, does God want me to do this? Yeah, but I, I don't want to do that. So a, a lot of times the things that God, I was talking with somebody the other day, and, and, I, and I made the comment to him, I said, oftentimes, oftentimes the things that God requires of us to do are the hard things. Where did we get off in Christianity in believing that God wants us to live an easy life? Where, where'd that come from? Where's that verse in the Bible? The reality of the matter is, oftentimes the things that God asks us to do are hard things. They're difficult things. They're not the easy things. My sister said to me last night as I talked with her on the phone, she said, I'm okay. She said, I did not want to do what I had to do, but I knew that God wanted me to do what I had to do. God wanted me to close up. And she said it, it was a struggle and it was a battle, but I know, that, I know that I did what God wanted me to do. Oftentimes, oftentimes God leads us in a manner in which we don't want to do. And, and we think, do we not, that we know best for our life? We think that we've got it figured out? Can, can I help you with this? When God has a will for your life and you know what that will is, and you choose contrary, you're condescending just like Peter was. Though we don't do it, we would never do it because we're scared to do it, but, but we don't say, God, could you step aside here for just a moment? This ain't happening. It's not going to happen. I'm not doing this. That's not what's best. We would never do that for fear of a lightning bolt, okay, coming down. But, but in our attitudes, they're oftentimes that way. And, 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 and so here's Peter once again we're not talking about Matthew 16 now. Move all the way forward to, 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 to Acts chapter 10, verse number 14. Look at that verse. But Peter said, not. Just, <laughs> that first word, you know he's in trouble, right? Verse 14. Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never, I've, I've, I've never, I have never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And you want to just say, dude, do you remember Matthew 16? Do you remember what Jesus said to you? Get behind me, Satan. Have you lost your memory? 
You're actually doing this again? Matthew 16, Acts 10. Stay with me. Matthew 16, Acts 10. Matthew 16, nah. Luke 10, uh, uh, Acts 10. Nah. You know what happened in between those two points where he gave negative responses to the Lord? He, he stepped inside the empty tomb. Peter saw the folded clothes. Peter saw the stone rolled away. Peter saw the empty spot where Jesus had laid. You know what else Peter did? He had a fireside meal with Jesus on the shore of Galilee. He heard the Lord say, put your net on the other side. And they caught so many fish that they could hardly haul them in. Jesus saw, Peter saw miracles. You know what else Peter did? You know what else Peter did? He saw the, he saw the nail prints in the hands of the resurrected Savior. You know what else Peter did? Between Matthew 16 and Acts 10, Peter, Peter preached the Word of God on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people got saved. That's what Peter did. That's amazing if you think about, if you think about everything that went on Here's a guy that from Matthew 16, his first not-so-Lord, to Acts chapter 10, his second not-so-Lord, he's seen an awful lot. But you know what? He still opens his mouth and sticks his foot in ankle deep. He still, he, he still can't get out of his own way. He still is his worst enemy. He still struggles with talking when he should be listening. And I want to tell you what we need is we need to learn how to listen to God. Can I tell you about South Valley Baptist Church for just a moment? Because we're talking about spiritual growth. Can I tell you that we are a flawed church? Anybody looking for a perfect church, please do not come here. Because you'll be immensely disappointed. We're a flawed church who is led by a flawed pastor who is assisted by an incredibly flawed staff I might add that in there do you know this did, did you know that your marriage is the merger <laughs> the teens like that <laughs> I got a great laugh from the teenagers there good job guys these are my bodyguards by the way but anyhow yeah so so did you know what your marriage is your marriage is a merger of two very flawed people trying to harmonize really I challenge anybody to harmonize with me in singing. It ain't happening, okay? One of us is going to be off. <laughs> you. But anyhow, no. So, okay. So, uh, you know how hard it is to harmonize with, with people that don't have a voice. Okay, These ladies did such a beautiful job. Uh, marriage is just two flawed people trying to get it together and humble, harmonize and... And you know what you have? You know what, the, you know what that produces? The merger of two flawed people? You know what it produces? Flawed children. Man, I wanted a piece of bacon this morning. So bad. But my grandkids had been through. Jackson offered me one. He's a good guy. The bacon was gone. I, look, you know, what you, you know what your kids are? They're flawed. Listen to me. Look at me. Don't, don't, don't act like your child is perfect because they're not. 
You may not know that, but everybody else does. Okay? Everybody knows your children aren't perfect. They're just not perfect. So, so, so just realize that, that, that we're all in this same boat together. Admit your flaws. Keep growing. Don't stagnate. Don't stop. Charles Gow wrote this. He said, the two great laws of life are growth and decay. When things stop growing, they automatically begin to decay. And my question to you is simply this. Where are you in your Christian life? Are you growing or has decay set in? And that's the danger for us as Christians as we stop growing in our walk with the Lord. When that happens, when that happens, you, begin, you can begin to see the decay setting in and the joy draining from the Christian life. There's no neutral. There's no neutral. Okay. Nobody has a neutral impact on a church. You're either positive or negative. If you're growing, it's positive. If you're negative, it's decaying. So nobody has a neutral impact on a family or, or a church or anything else. You know what Peter's last recorded words are? You can find them in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It's interesting that this guy who said, nope, nope, not so. I mean, this is the guy in the garden. Peter is the one that grabs a sword and tries to decapitate the guy and cuts his ear off. Jesus puts the ear back on and says, Peter, come on, calm down. Peter's always the one. That, that just barges full speed ahead. But the last recorded word that he ever wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit of God is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. What a good... Are you kidding me? That I mean, this guy was rough. But he grew to the place to where he realized that growth was so vital and he learned about, he may have been a slow learner, like most of us, but he learned. And by the way, history tells us that he was martyred by Nero, and they were going to crucify him according to Roman law. And Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Savior. And so he requested and was granted the request of being crucified upside down. Here's a guy that cursed at a fireside and denied that he even knew Jesus. But he has grown. Aren't you glad for how God grows us? He's grown to the extent to where he's willing now to die for his faith. Lesson number two that I learned in the book of uh, Acts from Caesarea Maritima is that sometimes God works outside the box. Okay, sometimes God works outside the box. Now, let me say this so that you'll understand where I'm at, okay? God never works outside the Bible, okay? If it's not consistent with the Scripture, put it aside. If somebody's telling you something, but it's not biblical, put it aside. God never works outside of the Bible, but He often works outside the box. Now, listen carefully. Stay with me on my, what I'm going to say to you. There's a difference in the book and the box. What's the difference? The book is God's authority, God's word. The box is man's philosophy. It's, it's the way, and by the way, you know, there's nothing wrong with having principles and guidelines in your life, but don't confuse the two. Don't get to the place to where you replace the book with the box, to where you start living up not to God's 
expectations, but to man's expectations. The Bible is absolute. The box is not. The Bible is divinely inspired. The box is an assortment of human philosophy. The book was written by God. The box is designed by man. All right, go with me to, go with me to Mark, Mark chapter 7. I want to show you exactly what I'm talking about. Mark chapter number 7, okay? Mark chapter 7. Verse 5, here's the religious crowd. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to, what's that word? The tradition of the elders. Okay, there's the box. That's the box. Hey, Jesus, can we ask you a question? Why aren't your disciples, why aren't they fitting in the box that we made? What's the box? All right, look at it. But eat with bread with unwashing hands. And he answered them and said, Well, has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but, with their, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me. Watch this. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me paraphrase that. Listen to me. Teaching for doctrines the box of men. This is what man designed. We're talking about the book in the box. And, and so, so Jesus said to me, no, 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 you're, you're, you, you take your, your expectations and the things that you've designed and you are making a doctrine out of them. It's not doctrine. It's what you believe and what you do. By the way, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with, with, with washing your hands, right? Okay, many of you don't do that. And so that, this may be what actually helps you. Uh, from this message today, but the but the reality, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus isn't criticizing them for washing their hands. He's criticizing them for for making everyone else live up to their expectations. Okay, do you know where Pharisees come from? Pharisees come from people who expect everybody else to live up to their expectations. Okay, if you don't want to wear open-toed shoes, don't. But don't make everybody else. Come up with that. I'm just reaching for ridiculous things. Um, if, you don't, if you think, oh, I don't part my hair down the middle, well, whooping. Don't. That's good. Some of you don't have hair to part. That's fine. All right? That's, so you don't worry about that. This is not even an issue with you. That's fine. But, but the reality of the matter is this. You become a Pharisee when you, when you build a box and think everybody else has to fit inside your box. Okay? That, that's what this is all about. Um, verse 8, For laying aside the commandment of God, the book, ye hold the tradition, the box of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, the word of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. You're, you are, you're rejecting the book and keeping the box. And that is a plague that happens everywhere. Peter didn't want to go to a Gentile. That's his box. Why? Because he was racially different. Um, the prejudice that, ha- that was in place in our text was greater than the prejudice in the South. Okay? Back when churches were segregated, it's just that Southerners believed that everybody could worship, but they didn't want to worship sitting next 
to someone whose skin was darker than theirs. Okay. I fought that when I was in the South. And was criticized for it. But, but how do you look at the church at Jerusalem and come up with the idea that this is a, this is a, this is a segregated church? I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to me. What is that? It's a box made by men. Okay. It was worse here. Because for the Jew, the Jew not only did not want to worship with a Gentile, they thought all Gentiles were pagan and that there was no way they could ever be reached by the grace of God. So we, we read in the, in the last part of, of Acts chapter 10 where the Bible said they were astonished. What? What? Are you telling me that God's working outside of the box that we built? You know, Jesus was a Jew and he was their Messiah and, and the gospel came to the Jew first and so they didn't believe that a Gentile could ever be saved. But aren't you glad that God worked outside the box? Aren't you glad that God didn't keep it the way that those men thought it? Aren't you glad God reached Cornelius? I've shed many tears sitting in Caesarea Maritima thanking God for the grace of God that reached down into a family called Herrings in the city of Savannah and saved my dad and saved my mom and saved my family simply because God said, no, I'm not going to do this the way that you've designed it. My gospel, my grace is going to go around the world. I'm thankful for that. Number three, something else I learned as I study from the events of this city is that not everyone who hears the truth will receive the truth. Now this is vital for those of us who are who are gospel-oriented people, okay? Um, somebody said silence is golden. Well, not when it comes to the gospel. Silence is yellow, okay? Silence isn't golden. We're to swallow our fears and share the gospel with, with everybody, people, strangers that we come in contact with. I was in, uh, we gassed up the Penske truck on the way back, and I was in a place, and I went in and... and um, bought something and and as i i left i got to the truck and, and and the spirit of god just arrested my heart about the guy behind the counter so i got a track and went back in and talked with him a moment and gave him a gospel track okay that's our job pastor you're a great no 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 i'm just that's just my job that has nothing to do with being a pastor by the way it has something to do with being a christian i'm to share my faith and so i'm, I'm sharing my faith with this guy and and, and I don't know what happened ultimately and eventually. I, I don't know what happened. I've been in contact with some friends that I went to high school with during the troubled years of my life. And I'm trying to share the gospel with these guys that we hung around together. I'm trying to share the gospel with them. During those days, my life was so non-reflective of Jesus Christ that there was a young Christian girl in our, in our high school where there was so much trouble going on during that time that she actually witnessed to me I had another friend talk with me about Christ I was saved at the age of 12 but I, nobody could tell it so, so now I'm trying to go back to those friends that I hung with and find them and tell them about Jesus and let them know what God has done in my life and I shared with this friend of mine who was a very very dear friend of mine very loyal friend during those those years 
And I, and I talk with him about where I'm at now and what's going on. He's got problems in his life. I'm trying to help him with, with, to find Christ. Okay. But not everybody you share the gospel with is going to receive it. You're just the news boy, the news girl. You're, you're, you're just tossing. You're just giving the gospel out every chance you get. You're sharing truth with people because it's truth that sets you free. We know that, that Felix and Drusilla, Felix, by the way, was the, uh, the cruel and immoral governor of Judea at that time. Priscilla, uh, uh, Drusilla, excuse me, was his scandalous wife. I won't go into all the details of that because it's not essential for the message. But in Acts chapter 24, verse 25, Paul, the Bible says, reasoned with them of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. And, and then it says in verse number 25 of, of, of chapter 24, <coughs> Felix trembled. <coughs> Excuse me. So Paul's preaching to him and he's talking to him about righteousness. Temperance. Control. A man who's out of control. Paul's talking to him about being in control of God. And, and, and judgment to come. And the Bible says that Felix trembled. What a statement. Talk about the penetration of God's word down into the heart of a man. And he answered to Paul, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I'll, I'll, I'll call, you don't call me, I'll call you. He was hoping Paul would give him money, but of course that wasn't what Paul was doing. He was trying to give him truth. But, but Felix said, no, I'll call for you when things are more convenient for me. Later in Acts 26, the very next chapter, Paul stands before King Agrippa and, and uh, had an opportunity to witness to him. He just gives Agrippa his own salvation experience. So he's telling him, King Agrippa, let me tell you what happened to me. He's appealing to him. He said, I, do you believe the prophets? I know something about you, King Agrippa. I know you believe the prophets. And so he shares with him his own personal testimony. Can I say this? Listen to me carefully. That's one of the most effective ways for you to ever witness. Well, I don't, I don't know the scripture that well. Do you know what happened to you? How many times have you heard me tell you about when I was a 12-year-old boy and went and heard Bobby Richardson and, and, and Bobby Richardson shared the gospel with me and opened my heart and got saved? That's my testimony. That's my testimony. And if, and if I knew nothing else, that would be enough to let people know he changed my life. He changed my life. And so your personal testimony is valuable. In verse uh, 28 of chapter 26, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost... Thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I heard years ago, almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Right? One of the two. So Agrippa almost, but he did not. And here are two men that are given an impassioned and a clear presentation of the gospel. Listen to me. By the apostle Paul himself, and they did not receive it. So don't be, don't be shocked when you share the gospel with people and they slam the door in your face. You may have another opportunity. It doesn't mean it's, 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 it's over for good, but don't be shocked when people reject what you say to them. I told you years ago when I was a youth pastor about going into a, a pool hall there in a very rough section of town called Savannah Gardens, and I was handing out flyers because Bobby Richardson was actually coming to speak for me in my teen class in a couple of Sundays. So I go in there, and I lay my New Testament on a pool table, and as soon as that black book hit that green felt, everything just went whoosh. And I started handing out flyers, telling them who I was, 
who I was having, was inviting them. I handed to a kid named Mohawk. They all had, they all had gang names. I handed him to a kid named Mohawk, and he took it in his hand and crumpled it up and dropped it on the floor. Okay, so there was a rejection. Well, I'm going to pack my grip, and I'm going home. No, 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 no. Look what Jesus did for us. You know what happened? What happened is I loaded a bus with 40 kids on that Sunday and drove 40 kids from a, from a gang-related hangout to Bible Baptist Church in Savannah, Georgia, and saw many of them get saved and performed the weddings for those kids. And they're friends of mine to this day on Facebook. Why? Because though everybody didn't get saved, and some of them crumpled it up and threw it at, at, at my feet, others did. So don't give up. Just remember this. It's not your job to save anybody. So that's not your burden to carry. Just give them truth. Just give them, listen, just give them an opportunity. You throw a lifeline to a drowning person, you can't take the lifeline for them, but it's your responsibility to get it to them. Okay? Help them. Show them. Be, be passionate and clear. But just give the good news the best you can. Number four, and this is important, that is just the glory belongs to God. Now open your Bible. Go to Acts 12. Acts chapter 12. So we're going to talk about we're going to, we're going to talk about a man by the name of Herod here. Okay. Now watch this in Acts chapter 12. This is not the Herod that built the city, but watch this in verse number 19. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him, having made Blastus the king's chamberlain his, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. So here's Herod, this Herod. He's standing there. He's standing there at Caesarea, okay? He's in, he's in what we saw, the amphitheater. Remember that they cleared out. They hold, they hold stuff there even to this day. We've been in there and sang before. And so, so here they are. He's, he is, he's making an oration. He's on his throne. He's giving four score and seven years ago, our forefathers. He's making this great oration to the people, and they're so overwhelmed with his shining, glittering, gold-covered uh, uh, arraignment uh, uh, in royal apparel. He makes an oration of them, verse 22, and the people gave a shout, saying, it is the voice of a god, not a man. I mean, it was just like, dude, no man could say what he's saying. Just, he's not a man. Remember, the pharaohs thought that they were little g-gods. He's a god. Well, Herod, let me help you with this, dude. Best thing for you to do is deny that. You need, you need to clean the slate. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, I am not. Rather than doing that, he basked in it. Verse 23, And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Son, how would you like a video of that on YouTube? Anyhow, notice verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. So the man who claimed for himself glory that belonged to God, 
was struck dead by God and the worms devoured him in fast fashion. But the word of God continued to grow and multiply. Now, this is the only point I'm going to make after this because that speaks for itself. Look at me. Just leave God's glory alone. Any man that claims for himself great things that he has done when in reality they're great things God has done for us is four times a fool. Leave God's glory alone. You got good kids? Thank God for it. You got good health? Thank God for it. You got good finances? Thank God for it. You got a good walk with God? Thank God for it. Okay? Don't don't pound your chest. Don't 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 polish your halo. Don't exalt yourself. Do not touch God's glory. Because glory belongs to God. Last of all, and I'm going to close with this. This is my favorite part of Caesarea Maritime. This is where I get the most emotional when I'm there. This is the thing that so strikes me so deeply more than anything else is, is, is I talk about Caesarea Maritima while I'm there. And that is the story of Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist lived in Jerusalem. Okay, that was his home. He was, he was, he was a Jerusalem boy. Okay? He grew up there. He played in the streets of Jerusalem. His parents lived there. Probably his great-grandparents and grandparents. His family was rooted in Jerusalem. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, things began to change after the death of Christ. There rose up a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus who became a terrorist to the people of Jerusalem. He hunted and hounded them. He hauled them out of their houses. He drugged them to prison. Notable people like Stephen, he resided over the place where Stephen was stoned to death. Listen to me. They beat him to death with rocks. They beat him to death with rocks. That's who Saul of Tarsus was. And in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, the Bible tells us that the church at Jerusalem was scattered abroad, and it said, because Saul was breathing out threatenings of, and slaughter. Listen to that word. He wasn't just threatening, he was slaughtering. That's a, that's a word used for butchering cattle. This man, Saul, was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. So what happens to Philip the Evangelist? Philip the Evangelist travels throughout the region. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, you know, meeting him and leading him to Christ and baptizing him, okay? He travels throughout that region, and finally he settles in Caesarea, Maritima. Now his home isn't in Jerusalem. His home is in Caesarea Maritima. Go with me to Acts chapter 21. Would you do that? Acts chapter 21. Listen, listen to these words. 
And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. So, so, so Acts chapter 9, remember we're jumping now again, Acts 9, people are getting out of Dodge because this madman is killing Christians by the score. So the church is scattered, Philip among them. Philip winds up going from Jerusalem all the way over to the Mediterranean and setting up a home in Caesarea Maritima. 20 years now, Paul, Saul becomes Paul, Damascus Road. He gets born again. He now, of all things, the church was so afraid of him, they said, no, we don't want him coming. Somebody said, we're bringing, guess, guess who's coming to church with us Sunday? Saul of Tarsus. Um, uh, we don't want him coming to our church. Why? Because we believe this is, this is just a setup. He's coming in to spy us out and see who all's here, and he's going to kill us. So nobody wanted anything to do with him. But, but, but finally, they began to realize, this guy's for real. And he goes around, I mean, he goes around almost being killed himself. And he's saved. Twenty years later, there's a knock on the door of Philip the Evangelist. And Paul, the former Saul, comes in a house. <laughs> and here's two former enemies. This man ran from this man. This man hunted this man and wanted to kill him. And now they sit at a table. Boy, I wish I could go back. I'd just like to go back in time and pull up a seat somewhere and hear them talk about what it was like Hear, hear Paul's words about the grace of God changing him. Hear Philip say, I never dreamed this day would happen. When you would be having a meal at my table, never saw that coming. Look at me, listen to me. Jesus changes relationships. He can take hate and turn it into love. He can take two people that are avowed enemies and turn them into lifelong friends. Jesus changes people and he changes relationships. And these two old adversaries sit at a table and share fellowship that only comes from knowing the grace of God in their life. What, what, a, what an unbelievable event that took place there. And I, I, I just, it's just so iconic. It's just so iconic. I wish I, wish I could have just a, a glimpse into it, but, but God leaves it where we can imagine the conversations that went on. Caesarea Maritima, a lot of things we learn from there. And the thing that I see so often there is the grace of God, and I'm so grateful for that. Let's bow our heads. I don't, I don't know today, maybe you've got a, Maybe you've got a broken relationship. I, I don't know. Jesus can change it. I know it takes two. It took both, both Philip and Paul and their willingness to come together. 
to see the grace of God in that little room there in Caesarea by the sea. Maybe you've been frustrated in your witnessing to people, and we need to be reminded that, that we can't save anybody. Our job is just to share the truth. If Felix and, and, and uh, Agrippa wouldn't listen to Paul, the powerful, iconic Paul, probably people are not going to listen to you and me every time. But we're just to keep on keeping on. Sometimes God works outside of your box. Sometimes you expect God to only do things your way. Can I tell you this? God doesn't live inside your box. It's the book that matters. It's the book that matters. And let me ask you one, one other question. Are you growing? Are you growing as a Christian? Or are you just sort of in survival mode? Don't, don't get satisfied with where you are. You're either growing or decaying, one of the two. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace that we see in the life of Paul and Philip, what a testimony of what your grace does to change relationships. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we would always be yielded to you. Bless us this week, Lord. Help us to continue to walk with you and to serve you. Bless our Wednesday night service, God. Help us as we get back into our studies and help those, Lord, to be instructional and inspirational to us. And we'll thank you for all that you do. In the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray these things. Amen.